welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 352. Course. Every noble house has at least a modest collection containing household accounts and histories of their lands and family. Most churches had extensive records going back hundreds of years detailing trials, marriages, and dispositions. The same was true of any sizable city. The emir couldn't have destroyed every trace of their existence. The research itself wouldn't be the hard part. The hard part would be gaining access to the libraries in the first place. I could hardly show up in Renair dressed in rags and road dust, asking to thumb through the palace archives. This was another instance of which a patron would have been invaluable. A patron could write me a letter of introduction that would open all manner of doors for me. What's more, with the patron's backing, I could make a decent living for myself as I traveled. Many small towns wouldn't even let you play at the local inn without a writ of patronage. The university had been the center of my life for a solid year. Now, Confronted with the necessity of leaving, I was utterly at sea, with no idea of what I could do with myself. And that's the page and the chapter. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And I have things. Firstly, at the end of the page, he says he's out at sea, metaphorically, but then he's going to actually be out at sea relatively soon, more literally, which I think is great. Sort of like, Mm -hmm. is that foreshadowing? Does that count? I don't know. I think you can make a case that it counts. And actually, I'm going to leave my other note for later because I want to find Renair in the map. So I'm just going to let you guys go ahead. Cool. Well, this is an example of uh, Rothfuss kind of pulling the the focus out. He's thinking sort of a more broad uh, view of Quoth kind of bumming around the next couple of days trying to figure out what he's going to do, which I think is a lot of a relatable experience for a lot of people who after high school or sometime during their university years decide they're going to take like a gap year and, you know, go traveling or something because they, they have come to a point in their life with like, I'm not actually sure what the next step is for me. So I think that this is a, a relatable uh, instance in Quoth's life. It's at the beginning of the book. It's usually, it's at the not though. Book. I'm there. It's okay. Found it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I have a note in regards Wait. to the map and Renair or Renery. How do we feel like pronouncing that? I've always said Renier, but I kind of like Renery. That actually works with the way a lot of the names seem to be uh, arranged. I All feel right. like if it was Renery, it would end with a Y. I would say, I would say either Renair or it's like Renier. He's a kind of French is it Renair? Yeah, or well, or like maybe vaguely Italian, like Renere. Hmm, fancy schmancy. Okay, so uh, just as a quick recap, it is present in both the original map as well as the 10th anniversary map. Appears to be pretty much in the exact same place. And also, uh, as noted importantly in our uh, live feed on the live stream, Patrick Rothfuss shared with us that it is the seat of the Vintish. Oh, it is the seat of the Vintish King. Patrick Rothfuss is in our chat? Oh my Patrick, God. Patrick, not Rothfuss. Shush, shush. You, I sometimes misspeak. 
It happens. Okay. I just got excited is all. Uh, and Rothfuss has confirmed that Foth will travel there in, in the next book. Ooh. But this is an interesting page, largely because it sort of resets everything. The very beginning of Name of... Or not the very beginning, but like after Kvothe loses his family and sort of has to get to the university, he's got nothing um, and needs to like elbow his way into a society. And now Kvothe is reset. He has to, he has nothing that will help him and he needs to elbow his way into a society. So it's just like a little bit of a reset for act two. Mm -hmm. He's starting the roguelike we call life. (laughs) Um, I I think I need that on a t-shirt. <laughs> be a t-shirt, Stradana. Be the change you want to see in the world. I think I'm the only person who would wear that as a t-shirt, but I like No, I think I think if you see Stradana, you'd have more faith in your t-shirts. This is why Jeremy and I are like, yeah, that'd be a great t-shirt. And you're like, no, no. But honestly, just like do it and see what happens. But life, That's but how also, this, this also, podcast rogue, started. Roguelikes, you you get to restart, so life isn't a roguelike. Like Yeah, but that's the joke. We will workshop it. Okay. You could do like careers or roguelike. I definitely like restarted careers and carried over my winnings from the previous career to help me start the second one. So that actually wasn't, so it wasn't like starting from nothing, which is much like a roguelike. So uh, yeah, we could definitely make a game that's like career simulator where you are a, oh my God, it's called job churn and you're a millennial and <laughs> you you embark on a new career every and you know you get fired but you like carry your skills over to the next career and oftentimes they don't fit but you can find ways to make them to make them work i don't need a game that traumatizes me the same way life does nick <laughs> yeah this is why everyone i know who's ever worked in a professional kitchen doesn't want to play overcooked because they're like look if i wanted to just be stressed out all the time i just go back to my job <laughs> Okay, I I feel like I had more notes on the page, but after oh right, I have my final note. Take us away. Yes, are you two both? You're all yeah, fine. All right, this Take is us the away. end of a page, but also the end of a chapter, and that chapter was called "The Ignorant Edema," referring partially to the story that is told by El Chiral, but also definitely referring to Quoth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Because he's, he's not being the... I, it's not that he's not being the brightest. It's that he's being he's, willfully ignorant about it. He's, he's not the best-tuned loot in the case. Yeah, he, yes, he's a little not dumb the best-tuned loot in the case. I love it. He, he's a little dumb-dumb. He's a little dorkus. Yeah, he's being a little dingus. <laughs> Lil Dingus was a very popular cartoon character in like the early 1930s. Yeah, Lil Dingus. What'll he do, Lil Dingus? He smells like poo. All right, do we have a letter? Yeah, we do. Uh, this is from Often Nathan, who writes on page 325, a heavy, uh, a heavy purse makes for a light heart. Greetings, Jardanic. On the page where Master Kilvin buys Kvothe's arrow catch prototype for 25 talents, you were all rightfully excited about the ups and downs of Kvothe's financial status. However, you missed a world-building idiom that sounds familiar, but is in fact the opposite of what our real world saying is. 
I feel like the phrase, a heavy purse makes for a light heart, is meant to remind us of money can't buy you happiness. It is interesting to me that most of Rothfuss' idioms are in line with the real-world equivalent, but this one sounds like it contradicts our version. Of course, it is more complicated than that, and, in fact, both sayings can and probably are true at the same time. The Temerant version seems to say that when you have money, you have less to worry about, which isn't the same thing as being happy. Side note, I'm 100% on board with Nick that I couldn't imagine taking this level of care and minding details for most books. But when the author spends so much effort into crafting these details into the story, it rewards the reader who pays close attention. So basically, Rothfuss is the exception that proves Nick's rule that close reading is bad. For slow regards, often Nathan. Uh, it's Jeremy who thinks close reading is bad. Nick is 100% pro close reading. But I understand that we are identical in most other respects. So. <laughs> Definitely understandable. Mm -hmm. um money can't buy you happiness but the other half of that saying is that but it can like get you peace of mind right like it it, money can't buy you happiness but not having money will make you miserable and some some psychologists even worked out like the exact amount of money at which you start to experience diminishing returns on happiness and it's like seventy thousand dollars a year you know duly noted up until earning $70,000 a year, you do see an increase in how happy a person is. And after that, the increase in how happy they are, the more money they have, that makes gets me smaller so and smaller and smaller. As to how much money some of the people I know or have known in my life make, have made. Yeah. And like, I I think that your, your reading is accurate in that, like, if you have like a reliable income or a full purse, then like, there are just so many problems in your life that go away. It doesn't mean that you don't have problems in your life, but the problems in your life that come from not having enough money and being worried about money all the time go away. And that tends to make you less stressed, which kind of feeds into something we talked about uh, a little while ago about how Quoth, part of why Quoth is such a workaholic is maybe because he feels that constant psychological pressure to be hustling. Yeah, I I can't shake the feeling, and we're get, I'm gonna get into Chapo uh, territory here. But I I feel like the phrase "money can't buy happiness" came about to kind of, uh, or at least now is employed to um, stop people from considering how much they might improve their lives with happiness. Like it's trite and easy to say money can't buy happiness when you know if you like have no, like you said, Jeremy, peace of mind is what is what it actually buys. I think if you were secure enough to understand that if you have like, you know, a car accident and need to pay for the healthcare, that it won't destroy you and your family for generations. Like that's, that sounds like happiness to me. So I always kind of grimace when I hear money can't buy happiness because you know what? It can. And like, I bet you Jeff Bezos is pretty happy. (laughs) Yeah. But I think the argument is like, Jeff Bezos is not actually that much more happy than someone who only has a hundred million dollars rather than, you know, a hundred billion dollars, right? Like the, the amount of happiness that he has over that person is marginal. Whereas the yeah, amount of happiness he has over like some destitute, you know, factory worker in Singapore, who's like so enclosed for pennies on the hour is like that person le- leads a pretty miserable existence and having some more money would really make them a lot happier. Yeah, no, I'd buy that. The diminishing returns thing. Although we we all saw that hedge fund guy crying on CNBC, right? He was pretty unhappy. <laughs> yeah, but he... Yeah, yeah, no, no remorse for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. His sadness brings me gladness. 
I don't like feeling happy when someone else cries, but it's hard not to when that's the situation. Look, schadenfreude is a word that exists for a reason, and that is the reason. Yes, Happiness please, is the misfortune of bad people. Please incredibly wealthy people weeping. <laughs> yeah, Hondo P. Hondo P. But also, like, I do take your point, Nick, that, like, that saying has, like, a context-dependent element to it. Because if a poor person is saying money can't buy you happiness, they might be talking about like there are things that no matter how much money I had, I still wouldn't be able to buy. Like the feet, like the feeling of enjoying a warm summer's day with my with my best beloved. You know, money can't buy you that feeling. Only like living your life can get you that feeling. But when a rich person tells a poor person money can't buy you happiness, they're full of shit. Yeah, I I wonder if the uh, phrase "heavy purse makes for a light heart" is an uh, an edema saying because that kind of saying coming from a culture that is traditionally not wealthy makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Well, I feel like we've we've squeezed a lot of juice out of that particular lemon. Uh, and what lovely wanna... lemonade it made! Mm-hmm. Let us drink of that lemonade on tomorrow's page. Um. The wind. wind.